Hi, everybody. I'm so happy that you've joined us. We're in a series we're calling Miracles, and we're looking at these different moments in the New Testament in particular where God steps in and does something that's extraordinary. And I think it's important for us to study because we all need miracles and we pray for miracles, but sometimes we're a little confused why miracles don't happen when we want them to. What I'd like to do is talk about a miracle of deliverance, a miracle of of becoming free. Um, Now, for all of us who might be a little spiritually unresolved right now, we've talked about this fact that miracles or God doing something that is beyond the norm is something that we're just going to have to deal with. Because uh, if, if you're serious about pursuing Jesus, the whole Christian faith, in fact, Jesus' teaching is based on this idea of at least two primary miracles that his death on a cross dealt with all sin for all time and frees us and then has the potential to give us new life and that his resurrection is a second miracle that changes everything. Now, as we get ready to read this passage, there's going to be a few questions that some of us have and they're completely understandable. Um, We're going to read this passage in, in this young boy. There's a young boy who has an ongoing problem. He's got a loving father who wants his, his son to be healthy. And as we read it, some of you, we're going we're gonna to look at the symptoms. We're going to say, boy, that sounds a lot like epilepsy, right? Epilepsy is something very real. However, it's only been about 100 years or so before we would have been able to diagnose it that way. So think for a moment that this is 2,000 years ago. And that in this culture, modern sciences have not uh, been studied. And so when people looked at trauma, pain, sickness in the world, they kind of only had two conclusions. It was like, well, this is either the devil or this is some other form of physical sickness that we can't even begin to understand. Now, there is a very spiritual world, okay? I've just... I think it's important that we understand this or at least contemplate it deeply, that there is a seen and an unseen world, okay? Paul puts it this way. I'm gonna read from Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle, so he's talking about this ongoing challenge in the world, the the challenge of of health, the challenge of freedom, the challenge of oppression, the challenge of, of our own lives being free. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So he's saying this, it, it's not that person. It's not that government group. It's not that group of people. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, that, uh, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul has this worldview that I think is really helpful for us in, in, as we live in this modern world, we kind of think of, you know, our struggle is with this person or that person or biology. Paul says, as a follower of Jesus, you have to understand something, that we have an ongoing struggle, but it's not with people, right? It's against these bigger unseen powers that exist out there. They are in opposition to God. Therefore, they are always pushing towards pain and death and destruction in people's lives. So that's part of the understanding that we bring to this text. Of course, as Westerners, we have a different worldview that helps us understand where Paul is at. So this seen and unseen world. Now, um, 
I think this is helpful for us as we read through something like this and think about our own freedom. Bible teaches us one other thing. Here's one other thing I think is helpful for us to understand that the humans are made triune. Okay, so it's interesting. We're made in God's image, in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as a human being, you and I, the Bible says there's three parts to us. There's a body, that's uh, the flesh and blood part of us that we can see. There's our soul, and that is the interior part of us, our mind, our will, our emotions. So the way we think, the what we feel. And then there's this third part, which is the eternal part, um, which is our spirit, right? This is the part that connects with God. So oftentimes when we are reading through a passage like this, I think we forget that there are three parts to us and we typically divide up our problems into one of these three worlds. Oh, this is simply a physical problem or this is a soulish problem. It's a, it's a mental issue. It's a way of thinking or this is a spiritual issue. As I read through the New Testament and see what Jesus came to do, I think he came to address all three, my body, my soul, and my spirit. Of course, my spirit is primary because this is the part that has been dead and Jesus can resurrect, but he also cares about my soul and he cares about our bodies. So there's not just a problem that that's purely physical. If we read this, we might think in today's world, oh, this looks like some form of epilepsy. Well, yeah, I'm sure it is. But I think that there is an enemy who attaches whenever we have a problem, whenever we find ourselves bound up in something, attaches all three aspects of who we are. I think most problems in our life have a physical, a mental, and a spiritual element to them. They're not separate. So what we're going to read is a, a young man who's overwhelmed by this unseen world. Let's read the text together. Mark chapter 9 verse 14 is where we'll begin. And when they came to the other disciples, so three disciples had had this really unique opportunity. They had climbed up a mountain with Jesus and they'd gone to the, what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's Peter, James, and John. And in this moment with Jesus, they're up there for some time. Uh, Jesus begins to glow. He's transfigured. And who appears? Okay, ready? Moses and Elijah. Okay. So these are like the big wigs of, of the old Testament. And so now they're coming back down the mountain. They're meeting the other disciples and a huge crowd that's assembled. So when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers, these are the religious teachers of the day of the law arguing with them. Okay. So there's a religious argument happening. If you thought that was new, it's not. It's 2,000 years old. So the disciples, the teachers of the law, they're, they're arguing. And they're arguing about what's supposed to happen with this boy. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. Overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So this is what's been happening down below the mountain. Here's Jesus' reply. You unbelieving generation. 
Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. Here you see, even if he has some form of uh, what we call epilepsy, there's a spiritual element to it as well. And the spirit sees Jesus and throws him into this fit. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. What an interesting series of events that happen here. As we talk through this, here's point number one. If there's just something that I think is most important from this text is this. Number one is Jesus sets captives free. Okay, exclamation point. In fact, in the book of Luke chapter four, verse 18, Jesus is just beginning his uh, public interaction with people. And he's in his hometown in the synagogue that he grew up attending. So every Saturday he would have been in the synagogue and as a guest and as a young rabbi, he's allowed to read. And he opens one of the scrolls to the book of Isaiah and this is what he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. And he lists out primary things that Jesus is gonna do. And one of them is this. He says, he, he's upon me so that I can set the captives free. Jesus says, this this I'm gonna announce the good news. I'm gonna open the eyes of blind people. I'm gonna liberate captives, all these beautiful things. I am going to set captives free. And from that point on, especially if you followed the book of Luke, from that point on, Jesus is regularly freeing people from forces from this unseen world. He is regularly saying, this person no longer is under the authority of some evil influence that wants to destroy them and strip away their dignity. I've come to free that person so that they have their dignity, so that they have clarity in their thinking, so that they can be in control of deciding who they are and what they will do and who they will serve. Jesus sets captives free. Now, we might read this, and if, if we just relegated this idea that Jesus set captives free to simply people who are dealing with these you know, really violent, demonic issues, we'd miss the point. Jesus came to set all kinds of captives free. Jesus came to set people who are addicted free. Jesus came, people who are in 
financial bondage that he could set them free. Jesus came so that those of us who are incapacitated by negative thinking, self-hatred, depression, unhealthy relationships, on and on and on. Here's what I see in my life, in everybody's life that I observe. We tend towards becoming owned by things. We tend towards no longer being able to control ourselves, our circumstances. We've, we've overspent and now we're owned by someone. We have a developed a negative way of thinking and now we can't break free. We, we find uh, our joy and our hope in what, what the Bible so often warns against is some sort of idolatry where something has a hold of us. We serve something other than Jesus. So I can be in bondage to just about anything and Jesus says this, no matter what it is that you find yourself gravitating towards bondage towards, Jesus says this, I came to set the captives free. It's one of Jesus's primary ministries, bring us towards freedom. Number two would be this. I love this little phrase. In fact, I, I don't know, I've read this passage many times in my life and it just has never stood out to me like this. It says, when Jesus came down the mountain, there's this argument happening between the disciples and the teachers of the law. They don't really care about the boy at that point. They care more about um, what should be done, how should we do it, what's proper. When they see Jesus, here's the phrase, they were overwhelmed with wonder. They were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to Jesus. What exactly does this mean? I Luke doesn't, or excuse me, Mark doesn't tell us exactly why they were in wonder. It could be that after this experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's some sort of residual presence on Jesus and they're amazed. Or it could just be that they've missed him so and this is such a difficult position and everybody has compassion on this boy and his father that when they see Jesus, they're overwhelmed with wonder. I want to just take a moment and speak to anyone who's been a follower of Jesus for some time. I think one of our greatest vulnerabilities, because this is one of my greatest vulnerabilities, is I lose my sense of awe and wonder regarding Jesus. Is that Jesus becomes common. I, I become comfortable with him. Maybe it's been years or even decades that you've served him and there aren't these moments any longer. I, I, this is such a danger for my own life where I just look at him and I'm overwhelmed with wonder. I just realize what he has done, who he is. In fact, I think this is, this is what worship is, right? It's, it's not just singing, that's an element of it, but it's those moments when you just are overwhelmed by his vastness and his majesty and you run to him. When's the last time? I had to ask myself this week, when's the last time that I just paused and I was overwhelmed by wonder at who Jesus is and what he's doing in this world? Here's the third point. Jesus invites captives to come closer. So 
Jesus says, well, where's the boy? He says, well, he's over there. And Jesus says, bring him to me. Bring him to me. Here's why I think that stands out in my mind. Typically, when we are captive to something, there's shame associated with that, right? So if I find myself in a drug, alcohol, addictive cycle, if I find myself in some sort of addictive cycle, it has to do with my sexuality, that has to do with overspending, whatever it is, we feel shame, okay? And kind of the last thing we want to do is come forward and run to Jesus. I love that Jesus says this. He says, no, 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 bring the boy to me. In the midst of his bondage, bring him to me. I, I want people. This is what Jesus says. So if, if you have shame right now, I know people have secrets. I've been doing this long enough to understand that. And, and the tendency is when you're in some sort of bondage, you hide and you hide your addiction. You hide that thing that overwhelms you. And we don't want to bring it to Jesus because we, we don't want to be exposed, right? Here's what Jesus says. Bring them to me. Bring them to me, the people who are broken, the people who try and try and try and can't get free from this. Jesus says, bring that boy to me. So Jesus would say to you and he'd say to me, bring the girl to me, bring the boy to me. I'm okay. Understand, I'm not afraid of the pollution that might happen if someone with this issue comes towards me. Jesus is secure, his arms are open, come to him. Fourthly, I'd like to look at this idea of a, a lesson of faith because I don't know about you, but I think sometimes faith is very, very confusing. Um, I think there's a lot of teaching out there that kind of presents faith and I think it warps it a little bit. So what does it mean to have faith and how do you have enough faith? So Jesus has this interaction with the father and the father says this, if you can do anything about this, Jesus says, if, if, he says, anything is possible for those who believe. And I, I, I just love his father's response, okay? I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, I believe, help my unbelief. So here's what the dad is saying. He's saying, there's a part of me that believes, but there's also a history here. There is a history where my son Life has been jeopardized. We have said so many prayers. We've gone to so many doctors. We've heard that this person could help and that person could help. And here's an exhausted father who is just trying to keep his son alive. And there's some force in his life that's trying to destroy him. His dad's empty. His dad is hopeless. One aspect of him is hopeless. But another aspect is he hasn't given up because he says, I brought my son to meet you. I still have faith. It's this kind of sort of faith that there's this teeter-totter in his life. Like, I believe, but there's a part of me that doesn't believe. But Jesus, could you help me with the part that has insufficient small faith? And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't look at him and say, well, it's not going to cut it. You haven't met the proper measure of faith, therefore I won't or can't do anything for your son. Um, go build some more faith, and when you come back and you can speak with more confidence and you've reached this level of faith, then I can do something. Jesus doesn't do that, because I think most of us walk around feeling like we have inadequate faith, right? 
I was just talking to someone who uh, a couple months ago was saying, hey, I'm going to the hospital to visit somebody and it's somebody who's in a really chronic spot and they don't expect them to survive. What should I pray for? And, and, and what they were saying is this, like, I don't want to walk into that hospital room and pray for somebody. I don't have faith that a miracle would happen. I get that. I understand that. But it's not dependent on our level of faith. That is a misunderstanding about faith. Jesus in another place teaches about faith. And he said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. And so what we think when we read that is, oh, if I could just generate more faith, I could move mountains. Jesus is saying this, a mustard seed, it was one of the smallest seeds that you could find in the Middle East in the, in the first century. He said, tiny amount of faith can move mountains. It's not about your faith. It's about who your faith is in. Let me say that again. It is not about the measure of your faith. It is about who your faith is in. And please know this. Jesus takes people who have partial faith and does something miraculous. This dad did not have enough faith. He wasn't faith filled. He had partial faith, but he was honest. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. What does Jesus do? He heals his son. As I was reading this, I was reflecting back on um, would have been the, the late 70s when Star Wars came out. And I had this kind of funny thing that was happening in me as a young boy. I um, was learning to follow Jesus. My parents had given their lives over to Jesus. And I was also being educated by Star Wars and George Lucas. Like the two things were happening simultaneously. I was a disciple of both. And when I watched that Star Wars in this whole teaching on the force, and I watched Luke Skywalker, right? He, he, he starts moving his, um, his fighter his, out of the swamp simply by, what does he do? It's like he concentrates, he focuses, he gets 100% in touch with the force and he can move objects. So this is no joke. I used to sit around in my bedroom and try to move objects. I would just close my eyes and try through faith. So this is where my, my culture and my Christianity got all intermingled. I would try to like, I have faith, Jesus. I, can, I can't move a mountain yet, but I can move that pencil from this point to that point. And it just, it never worked. And I always felt like I don't have enough faith. Adults walk around feeling the same way. I just don't have enough faith. Take your tiny bit of faith. Take that tiny bit of faith to Jesus who is okay with this prayer. I believe. Help my unbelief. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a prayer I think we should all be repeating. I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus takes that amount of faith and does a miracle in his son. Now, the last point, and this one's a little bit peculiar because Martin doesn't elaborate on it. I just want to term it this, preparation, preparation. Okay, so disciples are, they're really confused. Okay, so can you imagine all the disciples minus Peter, James, and John, Jesus is up on the hillside with those three and they're down here and they, they earnestly want to see this boy free, but they've got this huge crowd. It's a spectacle and they're praying. They're doing the things they've seen Jesus do. They're praying over this boy. And what is the father's report? Your disciples can't do anything. And so after the boy's delivered and everybody dismisses, they're back inside a house. The disciples look at Jesus and go, why couldn't we do anything? Apparently they've been able to do things in the past. Like what happened there? That looked really silly for us. You had to come in and you did it immediately. And all of us had gathered together. We're trying so hard. And Jesus, he uses this really interesting phrase. He says, 
This kind comes out only by prayer. This kind? Well, remember at the very beginning we read where Paul says in Ephesians that there are, there are all these unseen forces that have influence in the world. So apparently whatever this kind, whatever this force was, it had significant power. And, and Jesus says it only comes out through prayer. Well, the disciples had been praying, right? In Jesus' name, set this guy free. God, deliver this boy. I, I, I think what Jesus is saying is this. What you missed out on, guys, is I just spent the last few days up on this mountain with my father. In fact, you know what happened on the mountain of transfiguration? God, the father, speaks and says, this is my son. Jesus is my son. So Peter, James, and John, now they have this clear, clear direction from heaven that Jesus really is the son of God. So in this time of prayer, in this time in harmony with his father, um, Jesus had the affirmation. He was strengthened spiritually. He comes down the mountain. And basically, I think what he's saying to disciples is, you guys gave your best, but what you were missing was this. I just spent time with my father, and I'm prepared for significant demonic influences like this. So here's what I'd like us to think about. Are we prepared for the things that God would want to do through us? Okay, so it, it's not enough to just have an earnestness. No, I want to see people free. I want to pray for my own freedom. I want to pray for others. Jesus says there's something that happens prior to a deliverance. There's a harmony with the Father. There's a confidence that's built in Jesus. I just heard my Heavenly Father tell me that I was His and He's pleased with me. And it prepares him to engage this broken world. So especially for those of us who have uh, been walking with Jesus for a while and we're really anxious to join with Jesus, you'll notice one phrase we use around Faith Chapel all the time is be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus. Well, I don't know if I can be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus if I'm not prepared, if I haven't been with him, if I haven't had these experiences with God that prepare me, because it's not about my effort. It's about something I receive and I'm filled with in these moments with God that prepares me to be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. I want to end with just a few questions, because I think this passage leaves us with several questions. Number one is this, what areas in my life need freedom? Now, what, what I'd ask you to do is maybe don't just dismiss that. You know, maybe you say, well, you know, I, I, I don't do drugs. I get that. I get that. But I think every human being has a tendency towards some form of bondage. There's just things that want to latch onto our lives and they take far too much of our dignity. There are things that we begin to look to for hope. What areas in my life do I need freedom? Secondly is this question. Do I believe that Jesus says captives free? So one thing to make the statement, but do I at the core of my life believe this? Now, if you've been discouraged because you've had ongoing battles with something, I understand it's hard to believe that Jesus can set captives free. But I, I want to tell you this and, and let this seep into your soul that Jesus came to set captives free. That was one of his main motivations in this planet. And that same Jesus continues to deliver people. Do I believe this? 
Thirdly, am I overwhelmed with wonder? Remember early on in the passage, the people run to Jesus and says they're overwhelmed with wonder. I would just encourage all of us, whether you're brand new in your faith or you're a veteran, think back, remember, re-engage with Jesus, spend some moments with him where there's this awe, there's this wonder that overwhelms you once again. Because I don't want any of us to get into this discipleship grind where we lose our sense of wonder and awe. And that Christianity is just something we do. Jesus is someone we worship. Next would be this. Do I hear Jesus say, bring the girl, bring the boy to me? For any of us who are dealing with shame because of the bondage we have, I just, I want you to hear this. Please, please, please. Jesus says, bring that person to me. Come to me. With all of the baggage and all of the pain, all of the ugliness, and you've tried so hard. Jesus just says, I'm okay with who you are. I'm okay with those things that hold on to you. Bring them to me. And then lastly, um, I prepared for what God wants to do through me. This idea of the, this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. Do I have a basis to my life where I'm connected with the Father and this connection with the Father, it's the things that aren't ever seen. It's the things that happen early in the morning or at lunchtime. It's these moments I have with God that prepares me to address the pain in the world. Am I prepared to do what God has in front of me? Will you pray with me? Lord, thanks for this beautiful passage and this great reminder of faith. And so Lord, here's, here's what we do first. For all of us who are experiencing a form of captivity or shame, Lord, I'm going to hold my hands up in front of me like this, as if I were in shackles of some sort. We say this. You invite us to you, to, to your presence. Bring the boy, bring the girl to me. And we believe that you are the great deliverer. You came to set the captives free. Lord, would you free us? We want to be liberated to follow you. We want to look at our lives in this triune manner that we are body, soul, and spirit, and all of us, all aspects of us need freedom and health and healing. Lord, would there be a sense of awe and wonder for those of us who are spiritually unresolved and uh, aren't quite sure who you are? Would you reveal yourself? And would it be one of those moments where our eyes open and we want run to you and wonder, for those of us who've been doing this for some time and there's been a bit of drudgery that has entered our discipleship, we want to be overwhelmed with wonder once again. For any of you who today you'd say, I surrender my life to Jesus, would you just, just in your own way, would you just say that if you're private, maybe you could say that out loud, say it to yourself, Jesus, I give you my life, you came to set this captives free. Amen, amen. God bless.